right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, and anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Um, For those of you who are new to the podcast, this is a question and answer based podcast where you get to send me questions about OCD and anxiety, and I will uh, listen to it, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. Um, To do that, I'll go over this briefly. Go over to fearcastpodcast.com. You can send me a a, a text message there. I I suppose they call them emails in other contexts. You can send me an email over there just by clicking on the submit a question link there. Or the best way to do that is actually to go over to Instagram. I'm fearcastpodcast over there. And you can um, send me a DM um, and click on the little microphone little button there and send me a message which is how the question for today's episode came in. So before I get into uh, Max's question, which I think is, is, is a great question, it's something that I know a lot of people in, in anxiety land deal with, uh, a lot of ways that, uh, that rumination can kind of take a sidestep obsession can go from that main subject, that main theme, and kind of shift over to this other meta theme. Um, so we're going we're gonna to talk just briefly about that. Um, but first, I just wanted to I just wanted to wish everybody happy day. How's everybody going? Everybody doing out there, I suppose. Um, I suppose depending on how where you are in the world, how's it going? How's it? How are you doing? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so I just got back from the IOCDF conference. Um, there was no podcast last week or on Monday because of the conference and having to do that. Um, the, I, I don't know, for those of you who are all there, I don't know how it was for you. I, I had a good time. It was super fun to see all the people that I, I don't normally get to see in real life. Some people I got to meet for the first time in real life. Uh, that's one of the fun parts about the conference. Again, you get to uh, see all these people that you only you know hear about on podcasts or you get you, you read their articles and um, or see them on on YouTube uh, and, and it, it's such a it's such a fun energetic environment I don't know I'm trying to put it into words and realizing that it's 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 tough to kind of um, put into a package what what that experience is like and it feels like a whirlwind I don't know about anybody else who's there but you, but you go and the second you're there there's things to do places to go someone to see a meeting to have over here a conversation a, a, a lecture to listen to and then you you crash at you know 11 o'clock and you wake up and do it all again the next day and you do that and you do that again and then all of a sudden at one o'clock on Sunday, it's done. And you're like, what in the world just happened? And for me, I then got in the car and drove for eight and a half or nine hours or something like that. But it's okay because I threw my back out the week earlier. So if you saw me at the conference walking around like I was 107 years old, it's because I felt like it. Uh, I threw my back out earlier. So I drove, uh, drove my, from LA up to um, up to San Francisco, which is you know about you know it, it can take eight hours. Uh, we took the scenic route because we had to drop the kids off, but um, <clears throat> yeah, dude, it it felt bad. I was able to kind of sit in a sit in a talk for like I could get like twenty minutes of sitting, and then I I was like I just have to I just have to get up. I then I'd go to the back of the room and just rudely stand there, awkwardly stand there until. I couldn't handle that position, and then I just had to leave and go to my room and lie down on my bed and hope to not die. Um, and and then I would 
feel better after, you know, 20, 30 minutes, I'd go back down and try to do another one and hope to not die. Now, I didn't, in case you're wondering. Um, but yeah, if, if you have the option to go to the conference with a back that's been screwed up or to not, I'd really recommend not doing it. It was so much better last year to not have a screwed up back. But um, it's, it's what I get for being old and thinking that I was, you know, I could pick up rocks in my backyard, these big stinking rocks. Um, and by the way, I'll say this. <clears throat> if you remember, if you're a regular listener, about mm, six to eight months ago, I threw my back out again. And I'd said, I'd said, this is what sometimes happens. You know what? After this happens, I'm going to get on top of things. I'm going to go to a chiropractor and I'm going to do stretches and I'm going to do some exercises. And I'm going to get myself back in order and I'm going to keep at it. But I knew then what was going to happen. I was the ghost of back future to myself. And what happened was I knew that I was going to start to feel better and that I wasn't going to do my exercises anymore. And then about six months after that, I would wonder why my back went out. And guess what, everybody? Probably on cue, on schedule. That's what happened. Now, I bring all that up not to just uh, complain, which, don't get me wrong, I can complain about anything. <clears throat> it's to say that's kind of what some people do in relation to their anxiety. Of course, I was going to turn it back to anxiety. It's what I do here. And kind of what happens is we feel really bad. We feel really stressed. Something's going on. Our life is being hindered by anxiety. We feel limited, etc. I can't do this. I have to do that, whatever it might be. We dedicate ourselves to doing exposures, right? So you either start therapy or you get that workbook and you start going at it and you do everything that they say. And you start working through the workbook and you get to chapter seven. And you're like, you know what? I'm doing pretty well. You get to a couple sessions in and you're like, you know what? I feel a lot better. I'm facing my fear and I'm doing it. And then you drop out or you put that book away and you get back to your life, which wasn't that the reason that you got into that book or that therapy in the first place? Sure, given. However, you didn't really get there. You just kind of put a little Band-Aid on it and then went back to life. And there oftentimes then isn't a commitment to change, a committed commitment to regular lifelong change and a reorientation of your relationship to anxiety and to things that make you feel uh, anxious and, and, and fearful. So inevitably, we then start to make little um, concessions with life, Right. We go like, oh man, I used to be able to do this, but yeah, I feel a little nervous today. You know, I'm I'm gonna be, I'm I'm just I'm just gonna not today. You know, I don't have it in me. I'm gonna pull back. Now sometimes we say things very clinically, and we you know from all the workbooks that you did and all the therapy that you did, you say things like, I'm gonna exercise self compassion today, and I'm not going to do X. You know what? I'm not really feeling into it today. I'm not going to go on that trip. I'm not going to go on that that date tonight. You know what? I'm not going to go to the gym tonight because I'm I'm going to practice appropriate self-care. Now, sometimes as you can tell, that's good. We will want to do that. And then sometimes we use it as an excuse. We're going to say I'm not going to do it today. And then great. We get on with our day. And then the next time we have to do X Y or Z, we go oh, I don't you know, I don't really have it in me. And we slowly slide back. And we wonder why we're there. And sometimes when we look back, we can say, well, I know why I was there. It's because I didn't stay on top of the things that I know work for me. And I'm saying that in relation to my dumb back, as well as things that make perhaps you, the listener, feel anxious and nervous. When you do exposures, when you do the exercises, it works. I'm pointing at myself now. Hey, self, when I do the stretches, when I do the 
boring things that my chiropractor tell me to do, I get better. But they're boring, or they're hard, or they're time-consuming, or they're inconvenient, or I, you know, I would rather just kind of watch, you know, The Office. We're going through 30 Rock again. We started 30 Rock again. By the way, watch 30 Rock. It's so good. We've gone through the whole season like three or four times. There are there are jokes that I didn't even catch the first couple times. So good. It right. I dare say it is up there, and you can have a a very full-throated argument as to whether or not it is better than The Office, better than Parks and Rec. We can have that discussion later. Send me emails or hate emails or something like that. Anyways, so stay on top of things. I'm pointing at myself and saying I need to stay on top of things, and I, I don't want my back to be thrown out as a reminder what can you do to set reminders for yourself? How can you dedicate yourself to being consistent and being committed to your own self-improvement? Are there reminders? Are there friends who can keep you on board? What can you do? Maybe that's a, something for a longer discussion. If you have tips on what worked for you, send them to me over, over at fearcastpodcast.com or go over to uh, Instagram and send them over there. Uh, if I get enough of them, I'll put them up on a future episode um, and uh, uh, we'll talk about them. So, I'm not going to belabor that point any more than I already am. Let's get into the question from Max. So I'll play it here and then I'll get into my uh, thoughts on Um, it. How do you deal with kind of getting obsessive about the fact that you're obsessing? Because what I'm having at the moment is I've had a a bit of a flare up with a bit of real event OCD. And, uh, you know, I'll notice that I can start to feel kind of normal again for maybe uh, a few minutes, maybe an hour. Um, and then I'll notice that I feel normal. And then as soon as I notice, then I'm sort of back to to um, being anxious again and uh, having all the, the thoughts again. I'm managing to resist the compulsions, more or less. But I was just wondering if you had any ideas for kind of like, um, I guess not like monitoring your anxiety levels, if that makes sense. Uh, another thing, sort of on the same topic. Um, so I had this flare up after a long time, maybe almost a year, of having more or less no symptoms. Um, so I suffered with OCD for, I mean, I still suffer with it, but I suffered with it for probably about a year, year and a half solid. And then for the last year until now, I've had more or less no symptoms. And to have this big flare-up again that I've just had now, um, after living for a year as what I consider to be recovered, uh, is quite painful for me. And it's kind of like I know what I've lost, if that makes sense. Um, And I'm kind of worried that I'm never going to get back to how I felt before and that's become kind of its own obsession for me Um, I was wondering if you had any advice for that because it's been very hard to kind of lose that uh, peace of mind that I had All right, so that was Max's question Max, thank you so much for sending that in and again and again, Max sent that in through Instagram, um, and then we were able to have a, a short back and forth uh, on that platform just about um, uh, just about his question and, and things like that. Um, and it's it it it's really cool to be able to have that quick interaction with someone just to know that like they're they're a real person. And I, 
I, I generally speaking will uh, reply because I um, have a, uh, a a very bad relationship with my phone, meaning it's always on me. It shouldn't be, but alas, it is. So, anyways, um, so let's talk about Max. So, all right. So a lot of so again, I, I have a feeling that a lot of people listening to this have experienced what Max is going through. Okay, so. So when he's talking about having this, you know, he's obsessing about the fact that he's obsessing, right? So he he mentioned that he has real event OCD. We're not going to talk about real event OCD today, probably not at least, because that's the primary fear. Now he has this secondary fear. It is this obsession, obsession related to his obsession, right? But it is oftentimes for some people, it is the obsession about the quality of their obsessing, obsessing about the quality of their treatment, obsessing about something about their process and progress that isn't the main obsession, real event OCD here, or contamination, or sexual orientation OCD, whatever it is. It's this thing, right? So this may, for Max, be the the in a sense, become the primary obsession that he's experiencing because he's spending all day dealing with it. Now, he might be. He might. This also might just be a part of the whole constellation of, of, of nonsense that he's experiencing. But either way, it, it, can, it can happen a lot of different ways. So, um, it can feel important to have this obsession. Um, for some, they'll justify having it and engaging with it because they'll say, you know, if I just, if I, if, you know, in the sake of, of mindfulness, in the sake of self-awareness, it's good that I pay attention to it because I need to identify the, the triggers and identify uh, maybe what are the, you know, OCDs, uh, uh, cheats and tricks uh, that, that try to pull me back in, right? Uh, what, what, what is the way that I'm responding to, right? All, all of that, we justify it in that sort of way. But what can sometimes happen is people will use that, use the presence of that obsession as kind of this barometer as to whether or not they're they're doing well or improving, right? Now, Max, what you what you're experiencing is also very very normal. You say you kind of you know you go through this period of time where you feel okay. You call it, you said you feel normal, right? And then once you notice that you're quote feeling normal, boom! All of a sudden you're back to this anxious rumination, right? But that is a normal process, and that's a great thing to acknowledge. It's a great thing to acknowledge that there was a moment when you weren't obsessing. What that is, what that is, um, uh, it, it, what that illustrates here is the obsession goes away. It will go away. Sometimes we get this idea that it'll go away once we fully process it. It'll go away once you do your full compulsion cycle. It'll go away once you beat it up enough, um, then it'll finally disappear. Sometimes it does, but then it'll come back. Now, the reality is every thought that you have ever had will go away, and then it'll come back, and then it'll go away, and then it'll come back. You see where I'm going here, right? I hope I don't need to, I hope I don't need to keep saying that. Anyways, the whole point is, Max, that's part of the process, right? So you're kind of saying like, well, how, you, you did say you're, you're resisting compulsions, which is great. 
Now, the active monitoring process, which you were kind of saying like, you know, how do I work to not monitor my anxiety levels? Well, first off, I, I want to point out that if your goal is to not monitor your anxiety levels, that would be what ACT calls a dead man's goal. And a dead man's goal is something that a, a dead man can commit to doing and they can accomplish. And you know what, Max? They're going to do it better than you. You know who's not monitoring their anxiety levels? A dead guy. They're super good at it because they don't have anxiety, so they're not monitoring it. They don't have consciousness, so they're not monitoring it. What we want to try to do is in, in our progress in our life is to set living person goals, to set goals that you can actively do that are intentional, right? So what would be a, a different way of saying, you know, instead of saying, I don't want to monitor my anxiety levels, right? Can we instead say, I'm going to practice being focused on my life? I'm going to practice being more focused on my conversations. I'm going to be engaged in the present moment, right? Now, that's something that you can do more actively. That's something that is going to be more feasible and reasonable to do than to say you're not going to monitor on your anxiety levels. Because by the way, the, the second we say, don't monitor your anxiety levels, we're kind of wondering, well, I wonder what my anxiety level is right now. And that's a natural, normal thing, right? Don't think about the pink elephant. Stop it. Stop it right now. Don't, don't, don't think about the pink elephant. We're going to think about it, right? Our dumb brains don't do don't very well. And it doesn't do rules very well, right? When it says don't do this, we set up a rule. This is important. And our brain goes, this one, this one right here, this thought is important. Oh, well, I better do something with it. And it, I'm, I'm going to place it right here on this pedestal. And I'm going to lift it way up in the air. And you know what? Guys, get get the spotlight. Put the spotlight on it. And uh, look, everybody look at it. Don't do this. This one's important, Right? We are now celebrating the thing that you're saying don't do. So instead of saying what we're, what we're, what we're not going to do, how do we refocus to say what is it that I am going to do? Max, what can you do? Where can you focus your attention and energy and desires and interests? That, that would be a greater place to be. Now, why that's also great is it's going to be according or living in accordance to your values. You're saying this stuff is more important to me. Whatever it is, going to school, going to work, going to relationships, um, going and playing darts at the pub, I don't know. But that is more interesting and valuable and meaningful for you than stopping life and monitoring your obsessions. The, the bus metaphor from ACT seems uh, salient, irrelevant right now at least. Um, I've given this before. I'll just kind of briefly go through it. The bus metaphor kind of goes like this: is that um, you know, imagine that you're on a bus um, and that you're you are uh, the bus driver. Now, a bus, as you know, is going to go on a specific route towards wherever it says it's going to go on the front of the bus. Right? There's a sign. There's a, a an illuminated something that says where it's going: uptown, downtown. I don't know. I don't care. This is where it's going. On the route there, it's going to pick up passengers and passengers are going to get off. Now, sometimes the, the bus is packed and sometimes it's, it's pretty empty, if not empty entirely. Sometimes the bus will be packed with a delightful crowd of people and sometimes it's just chock full of awful people. Um, and sometimes there's just that one person on and they are awful. But either way... The bus driver doesn't decide who gets on and who gets off. The bus driver is just going to continue to go to wherever it says on the front of the bus. Now, 
you, Max, are the bus driver. You get to decide where it is that you're going to go. And you get to decide if you're going to um, keep going in the in the prescribed manner, in the typical, typical decided route that you said today, I'm going this way, or if you're going to stop your bus. Now, I want you to imagine in this then that, you know, as you stop, um, inevitably in the course of life, a passenger is going to get on. Now, these passengers we can think about as thoughts, maybe physical sensations, they can be mental images, they can be urges, right? A passenger is going to get on, and sometimes it's a delightful passenger, right? It's going to be that thought about that cute, cute person from high school, and they're like, oh, that's fun. Or it's going to be a thought about, you know, what's going to happen later today and, and how much fun it's going to be to go to the zoo or whatever you're doing. Great. Those are fun. You're like, oh, okay, I can interact with this thought if I want to, uh, but I also know that eventually they're going to get off, and, it's going to be, and then another thought is going to get back on, another passenger is going to get back on. Now, sometimes a passenger gets on that is awful, and we try to fight against it and push against them. Now, they're going to try to tell you to derail uh, the, the drive. They're going to say, hey, go left here. They're going to say, hey, the, the bridge is out up ahead. Go left, right? They're trying to warn you of something that may or may not be true. Now, sometimes we get so annoyed with those passengers, we slam on the brakes on our bus, and we turn around, and we try to kick them off the bus. We yell at them. We cuss at them. We try to get them to throw them off the bus. And sometimes through all your effort, you can get them off the bus. But notice in this whole fight, you have stood up away from the driver's seat. You've stopped the bus, the forward pro progress of that bus to fight that dude, to fight that thought. Now, you win or you lose whatever. You've expended all this energy to get rid of this thing. And you, sometimes you go, oh, good, he's gone. And you get back in the driver's seat and you keep going. And then guess who shows up at the next stop? That dude. And now he's pissed. And now he might have a friend with him. And that friend is the feeling of, it's a groinal sensation. It's that feeling in your chest. Um, that it's, the, it's, uh, it's sweating, it's dizziness, it's, it's whatever it is. What we want to do is, well, first off, we want to remember that every time a, a passenger gets on the bus, they're never going to be able to grab the wheel you are always in control of where the bus goes. There's that little like yellow line behind the driver where you're like, it's but this is like magic force field. Like he's not going to kill you or hurt you, do anything. It's just going to be annoying as hell. Now, you get the choice of what you're going to do in that situation. What we want to try to ultimately do is to recognize that sometimes you and I get predictable passengers on our bus, predictable feelings and situations. Sometimes our, our passengers come on as, as partners, they come on together, and sometimes, it's, and sometimes they come on at very predictable times. But we want to remember, we get to choose which ones we're going to interact with, and we get to choose which one or which direction we're going to go in. And that's part of what we're trying to do in life is to build that flexibility. Act Again calls it psychological flexibility. It's being able to roll with the punches, roll with what's going on in the present moment. We can't predict what, what passengers are going to be there. And we can't certainly think, we can't change the passengers that have been on our bus. It is only in this moment that we get to control what we're going to do. So... There's a whole bunch that I, a whole bunch more that I could say about that process, but ultimately for you, Max, I want you to think about um, when that thought comes back on, that 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 not feeling normal again comes on. Instead of yelling at it, instead of getting angry at the fact that that uh, uh, that thought is back, we're going to say, 
All right. This thought's here. I knew it was going to be here. Well, I still got my, my uh, steering wheel, and I'm still going to where I want to go. Because remember, you decided where, is this, where it is that you're going to go. And it can be broadly in life where you're going, and it can just be that moment, right? I'm going to work. Great. That thought might come on and try to derail you from doing what, what you want to do. That thought uh, that your direction or the, your sign on the front of your bus might say, flirt with that cute girl. Great. So that's what you're intending to do. These passengers are going to come on and try to say, no, don't do that. Go do something else. Now, we're going to be disconnected and dissociated from our task at hand, flirting with that girl, when we're fighting with these thoughts. Instead, we're going to say, you know what? I'm going to go to my destination and I'm going to let that passenger fight and be annoyed and be frustrated and whatever and be fussy, whatever until he gets off, because eventually he will, because he always has, and he always will. He'll be back, and when he does, we'll go, there he is. I experienced this a little at the conference this year. So I gave, I was part of three talks, and, you know, stepped into one room, and it was enormous. It was such a big room. It was so unreasonably large. They very much overestimated how many people were going to come to that talk. But I got, and I started walking to the front and got up on stage and was kind of preparing and kind of, you know, talking to my um, uh, uh, fellow presenters. And that feeling showed up, that like anxious, like that butterfly feeling, that feeling in your chest of like, oh, this is going to go bad. Or, oh, this is, I'm going to be embarrassed or I'm going to screw this up. Now, that feeling has been there for me before every talk I've ever given professionally. And I've been doing this for a long time and I've given a lot of presentations. And I got that feeling again, but instead of running from it or hiding from it or trying to suppress it, I went like, yeah, of course I'm going to feel that way. This is a talk in front of a lot of people at a big conference where I want to pretend like I'm a professional here, right? So it was there. My passenger came on. Typically, or historically, he's thrown me off. I've freaked out. I've been upset. I've tried to, uh, you know, I've tried to walk it off. I've tried to ignore it. I've tried to convince myself it's going to be okay. I've tried to get my my fellow uh, teammates that I've presented with to convince me that the passenger is wrong. All of that stuff was useless. Instead, I just said I waved to my little feeling, and I kept on going. Now. This is when you say, how do I not monitor my anxiety levels? Are you metaphorically constantly watching the door of your bus to see who's going to come on and who's not going to come on? Are you constantly driving, looking in the rearview mirror at what they're doing, what they're saying, how they're saying it, whether or not they're inching closer towards the door or inching closer towards you? It sounds like you're spending a lot of time actively focused on something that you don't find interesting or care about what I would encourage you to do is to start practicing, focusing on what is the, what's your task at hand and what are the steps that you take in that, in that task and progressively start moving towards it, knowing that you're going to get a distraction. And when a distraction comes up in this intentional practice, you're going to go, distraction. You're going to say, sidetrack. You're going to say, that thought, right? And it's going to, you're going to be aware of it. You're noticing that it's there. You're not pretending like it's not there. It is there. But you just keep on going, right? Now, a lot of people come up with a lot of different phrases that you can use. And whatever you use for yourself, that is just a simple acknowledgement. There it is. I see you. Thought. Dope. Whatever it is. You just keep, keep on going. And you, it's, the, it's the subtle redirect. So, 
the other thing I'll say, um, and no button up against the end of my time because I got to get into another session. Um, you said you you went like a year without obsessions, and then you had this spike, and then the rumination. I, you said, I know what I've lost. That obsession is, oh man, I'm never going to go back to where I was before. Now, what's implicit in that, what I'm hearing in that is, life is never going to be as good as it was. My life now is going to be diminished. My life is going to be crappy forever. And I'm never going to be happy, make progress, have a full life because I'm here in my obsession. Now, there might be more subtext for you, but all of that is OCD's narrative and OCD's effort to try to derail you from your progress. That's that passenger getting on and saying, it's, it's all lost. It's all for naught now, right? But what I want to say to you is, how do you know? How do you know? How does anxiety know that now it's lost and it's never coming back? That it's lost and that it's going to be bad forever? How do you know how it's going to go? I also say, let's take a step back. You had, you had obsessions, you went through a bunch of stuff, and then it went away for a year. That means you were doing okay in life, and then obsessions started showing up, and it was, quote, bad. And then they went away, and then life was, quote, good. But now they're back, and they're bad, right? So given that pattern of things, what makes you think, reasonably and historically, that now it's going to be here forever. What feeling or thought have you ever had that was there forever? I'll wait. None. None. Every thought and every feeling you're ever going to have is going to change. It might get worse, it might get better, but it'll change. When our brain pull, tries to pull us in to say, this is the way that it is now, we're going to say, mm -mm, it's just going to be different. That's all it's going to be. And that's good. It's going to be different. Say, so here's where it is today. In this moment, this is the snapshot. Boom. This is my life right now. In five minutes, it's going to feel different. Right? My back feels bad right now. I know it is. But it's going to get better. I know it will because it always has. Right? And it, it already is. From you know the time it was initially there to the, the conference, to the driving, to right here sitting in my office... It has gotten better. It's changed. Yeah, that's what it's going to do. And it's slowly starting to improve, right? That's the reality of it. In the moment, the pain is there. It sucks. It does. So <clears throat> we need to bring ourselves back to the present moment. This is where it is today. And we're going to see where it goes. Now, I'll also say this. You may never get back to where you were, but you may get to a better place. That's one of the things that anxiety doesn't want us to think about, right? It's saying, what if your life isn't the way that it was? Right. W what if it's better than it was? What if? Now, again, we're saying what if as if it's a fantasy and a possibility. But remember, with your obsession, it's going to say, what if it's always going to be terrible? But remember that what if is still there. It is still, it, it is still petitioning your imagination in order to justify compulsion. Both of these things are fantasies. One, the, the one you don't want, we call dread. The one that we want is called hope. It's still a future-based event that we have no guarantee over one we want and one that we don't want. Either way, we don't know what the future is going to hold. And you don't need to know. That's the other part I want you to think about. I don't need to know what my future is going to hold. All I know is that here's, what I am, here's where I'm at right now. Here's what my life is like today. 
And I wonder what I'm going to do for right now. Despite the way that I'm feeling, what am I going to do? Well, maybe I'm just going to wake up and I'm going to brush my teeth. That seems more reasonable than sitting here and arguing with my thoughts or ruminating about my thoughts or wondering when my thoughts are going to get worse or get better or change. Because we don't know what's going to happen, but man, I I promise you, if you start to hyper-focus and you only focus on your anxiety, your anxiety is going to be your main focus. So let's hold two things at once. You're going to hold space for anxiety when it's there and when it shows up. You're not going to like shove it out and try to get rid of it. But you're also not, you don't need to conjure it either. The other side is you can focus then on where it is that you're wanting to go, what are you wanting to do, and say, that's my focus right now. And there's going to be a lot of side, uh, uh, side tracks and side quests and distractions and frustrations and um, struggles, obstacles. Yeah. And despite all those things, we just keep going, generally speaking, in that direction. That's the flexibility of saying, I can deal with the obstacles in my way. I can deal and be flexible and move and not be rigid to it. It has to go exactly one way because it ain't. It's not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. What has? What has gone exactly the way you thought it was? Probably nothing. Not for me. That's for darn sure. Things did not go the way that I had thought life was going to go. And good. This is the way that life is for right now. And there's a lot of good and there's a lot of weird. But regardless of where it is today, it's going to change. It's going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's going to be different. Our job is to pick a direction and generally focus on trying to get in that direction. And we be flexible. We practice flexibility when things derail. So that's one of the ways that you can reorient your focus when these thoughts start to arise. Now, I've gone through a couple different exercises, types of things. We've gone through the bus metaphor, talked about awareness, talked about expectation. We talked about um, uh, non-engagement responses with that like acknowledgement of like, oh yeah, there's that thought, dope, thought, whatever, right? So those are some of the things that you can practice to, to instead of setting your life up with this dead man's goal, you're setting your life up as a future-oriented, goals-oriented approach. And that is going to feel a heck of a lot better than just trying to desperately say, I hope I don't have this, right? Because it'll change. All right, um, Max, I hope all of this was helpful. I really appreciate this question and interacting with you briefly on um, on Instagram. So everybody, I'll, I'll just, I'll cut it here since um, it's the top of the hour and I need to get in the session. So thank you all so much for, for listening. Um, if you have a question for a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a message over there. Uh, you can send me an email to a recorded question that way. You can send it to questions at fearcastpodcast. Or again, you can send me the link at uh, fearcastpodcast.com and the submit a question link. Or you can, uh, again, send me a, a direct a direct message uh, through uh, Instagram. Um, and uh, I, I, will, I will likely say hi. So, Anyhow, um, I hope everybody, uh, or if if you have feedback for Max, uh, let me know. Let me know in those various channels uh, what your thoughts were. If I missed something, if you have any advice for him, and I can add that to a future episode. Um, Also remember that that audio questions get precedence. So Max sent this in like two weeks ago. So, or three weeks ago maybe, I've had a lot of audio questions. And it's it's getting to the top of the list. So if you would like your question answered sooner, send me an audio question and send me the name that you want me to use. Max ain't his name, 
Is it? We don't know. We'll have to be uncertain. But you can send me a question over there. So um, until then, everybody, um, remember that the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your recovery, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and click on the, uh, click on the excuse me, find help link. And there's going to be some information for you there. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and to don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.